You're listening to the Renew Life Church podcast. We hope this message inspires you and challenges you to become a true disciple of Jesus. To find out more about us, go to RenewLifeChurch.com. Good to see everybody this morning. One more time, can we give our worship team a round of applause? So honored, so honored. Hey, if this is your first time here, welcome. Let's give all of our first time guests a round of applause. Thanks for coming. Glad you're here. You can be a guest today, but next time you got to be family. Uh, and uh, we're really glad that you're here. Uh, my name's Braden. I'm a senior leader here at Renew Life Church. We live, my wife and I live in Lubbock now. We moved there a little over a year ago to plant our second campus. We planted this church originally about eight years ago. And uh, Cody is our campus pastor here. Give Cody a round of applause. Just gonna clap for everything. Give my, give my Chad Veach on, you know, and clap for everything. So, uh, Hey, here, the biggest announcement of the day is we have a new children's pastor, and Cody's wife, Stacy, has agreed to be our new children's pastor. And I should just get this off my chest. I'm not offended at all that all these years, there was no call to ministry on her life when I was here, but all of a sudden I move away, and all of a sudden she's called to ministry, so I... Not offended at all, Stacy. You know, not at all. So anyway, we're so glad to have Stacy. Your kids are gonna gonna love her. But anyway, really glad that you came. If you got your Bibles, you can turn to Malachi chapter three. Uh, yep, Malachi. She's the, she's the one person in here who's excited to go to Malachi. So. <laughs> uh, we're. Um, I, I, I want to just do. We'll get to Malachi eventually, more than likely. I uh, I just want to. Um, just share a couple of things that were on my heart. When we, when we moved to, to Lubbock to plant our second campus, well, first of all, planting other churches was never, planting a church was never on my radar at one time. And, and then when the Lord had us do this, uh, this was actually a yes to a spiritual father in my life. Never had a plan to plant a church. And I had a, a spiritual father pastor in my life say, I think you need to start your own church. And so uh, we did. And everything that you see here today was because I just said yes to what he wanted and, and what he thought. And uh, it was pretty impressive what God did and special what God did uh, through that one little yes. And since then, obviously, the Lord really spoke to us really clearly a couple years ago about what we're doing now and, and planting churches. We've got, obviously, the one here in Midland, one in Lubbock. Uh, we've got five others that we feel like the Lord has called us to plant. We've got Roswell, Amarillo, Wichita Falls, Abilene, and, uh, and Odessa eventually as well. And th- th- those are what's on our heart. And uh, we never, again, this was never really our plan, but when, when we moved to Lubbock, we were getting ready to launch the Lubbock campus, the Lord began to talk to me about culture. Uh, and when we were all here, I didn't, I didn't really feel the pressure, for whatever reason, to overly define who we were. We were on such a research and development uh, track, if you will. God was doing so much and it was so fresh, it was almost hard to write anything down in terms of a vision or a mission or a values and different things. And, and we had those things, but we, we didn't even know what they were. We, had, we thought we had something from the Lord, but uh, it worked for a little while. But it just really wasn't the thing, so to speak. And when we, when we moved to Lubbock, uh, I think one of my biggest regrets is that we didn't have that. We were all here, me and Leanne and Keith and Natalie and Cody, and, and for a while Josh and Lindsay Naylor, all these different people were here, and uh, we were just here. And so, but when we moved and I started thinking about planting churches, what I realized is we're going to have to get very clear on exactly what we're, we're aiming at. The Bible says, write the vision down and make it plain. And I, we hadn't quite done that just yet. And we were planting the church in Lubbock and one day I, I, 
I pray in the shower. That's my, that's my prayer time. In fact, I've even got a little folding chair in the shower. Leanne loves my little folding chair in the shower. So redneck. Um, but that's kind of my spot. I always take my phone in there and I'm writing notes and different things. And uh, so uh, I, was in the, I was in the shower one, uh, this has been, like I said, back end of last year. And man, the Lord just began to speak to me so clearly. And some of the language I felt like he gave me was, was much uh, better than my intellect was and so I knew that the Lord was speaking I was writing it down as fast as I could and as clear as I could uh, just on the vision and the mission of this church and the values themselves have been under construction I should say and we as a leadership team I've we've written some values down we've talked about them one of the beautiful things about our core values and I'm going to read all this here in just a second um, one of the beautiful things about core values is I actually believe this I don't represent or know what all I should value at this point in my life. I think over the years as new people have come into my life, the more I've learned about who God is, the father that he really wants to be, and I've learned that I keep adding values to it. It's like, oh, that, that's a value. And then some new person would show up in our life and a new staff member would get hired or somebody new from the church would show up and in conversation and hearing how they see God, I would realize, oh, they, they carry a value that I don't have, but I should. And so by welcoming that person into my life, I've welcomed in a new value, and that's why I'm so thankful that we are not uh, a church built on one man's vision, but everyone who brings something to the table, and I feel like I'm always learning, and so as far as our values are concerned, uh, we have 10 values, I'll read those in just a second, but number 11, we have an 11th value that says to be determined, uh, because I, I, I never, I'll try to make sure I say this without being, I don't want to be offensive, I really don't, some, some of you don't believe that, but I really don't want to be, uh, I think um, religion begins when learning ends. Religion begins when learning ends. And when we think we've got it figured out, we've got it all packaged, like, okay, this is what we believe, that is a very dangerous place to be. And so, especially as it pertains to our values, I'm very uh, open to, Lord, teach me what I should value. And if it's not on the list now, I want you to know that little to be determined is me saying to you, I'm not done. And we're not done. And you, you can continue to talk to us and speak to us. And if there's just something that we only see in part right now or see, you know, see vaguely, if you'll continue to show us, we're, gonna, we're ready to learn. And so um, let me just read these. Our, visions, our vision statement is very simple. Renew Life Church exists to see heaven come to earth in every area of life. Heaven to earth in every area of life. And that may seem, seem, seem simple, uh, but I, you know, we don't just exist as a church to build a great church. We exist as a church to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry in every area of life. And so I want to see the kingdom come. I want to see heaven come to your family, to business, to politics. Can I get an amen? Yeah, Maybe even a bigger amen for media and entertainment and all of those things. I want to see God uh, and I want moving in every one of those areas. And uh, in fact, there's a guy that goes to our church and I was talking to uh, one of our, as a, I think it was Keith told me this. He was talking to one of our young adults the other day and he said, so what, what do you want to do with your life? And he just, I mean, as clear as he could say it, looking right back in the eyes, says, I want to be the president of the United States. And it wasn't, and he wasn't joking. And it's like, I was like, good for you, man. You got some, some ambition there. It's like, I, I want to see people who are in the church that feel called to those different arenas. I really, really love seeing that. And so very simple, heaven to earth in every area of a life. Our mission is simply this. Renew Life Church is on a mission to see the lost saved first and foremost, the saved, living, spirit-filled, led, and empowered lives. Free spirit, soul, and body, living unified in spiritual family and on mission, advancing the kingdom of God. Uh, I want to read you our core values because I actually want to talk to you specifically about one of our core values today. Our core values, number one, the presence of God. 
Number two, the word of God, the family of God, number three. Number four, the power of God. Number five, faith. Six, prayer. Seven, prophecy. Eight, worship. Nine, generosity. Ten, excellence. And 11, to be determined. So, uh, and we'll, you'll start to see some of this stuff come out more free. We're, we're, we're really trying to figure out how we're supposed to unpack some of this. We've actually started as, in all of our staff meetings. We start every staff meeting, whether, no matter which part it is, by reading our vision, our mission, our values. We really, as a, as a leadership team, we're trying to get these things down in our heart. Uh, today I'm going to talk about number nine, generosity. I want to talk about generosity. And uh, I typically don't just go with the first Webster's definition of, of every Bible word that I look up. But when I looked the generosity up in, in Webster's, I absolutely loved it. It says, generosity is the act of liberal giving. And then in all, hand, all caps, it said open-handed. I just love that. Generosity is living, living open, open-handed. Um, let me hit pause for just a second. Just one of the things that I don't think I've done as good a job as I could have over the last couple of years, we stopped doing a membership class. For whatever reason, membership just didn't seem like us. It felt like you were joining a club instead of becoming a part of a family. And so we, we stopped doing membership class with, with a reason. I'm not saying it was perfect, but we had a reason. Uh, but when we did that, one of the things we used to do in our membership classes, we would outline very clearly the financial principles uh, of our, our church, the foundational stewardship principles that we've adhered to for well, literally since day one, they've never changed. And I, I think we've done a poor job of communicating that and maybe even caused some confusion at times. But I just want to share with you uh, one of the things that's, there, there's several things that we don't negotiate on. The biggest thing we don't negotiate on as a church is at least a minimum of 10% of everything that comes into this church goes back out into other organizations and other ministries. And in fact, even through COVID, we've never wavered on this, uh, even when things weren't like they could have been. We did not waver. Over the last three and a half years, we've given away over a million dollars alone from this campus to other organizations, outreaches, ministries, missions, works, some local, some in the United States, some over the globe. Uh, and so we're, we're very, very, uh, very proud of that. In fact, when I was early on in, in doing this, I felt a lot of conviction. I wanted to get the financial piece right. And so we, we, I went to some training. I did everything that they said, told us that we should do to be completely as safe as we possibly could and, and, and uh, transparent as we knew how to be. And then I, I remember at one point I took, this has just been a few years ago, I took our books to uh, some, some very reputable church leaders, uh, probably one of the largest church, it's the third largest church in the country. And I, to my knowledge, I, I think they're about as good as they get on the financial side. And I took, I connect, connected with some of their leadership and said, I want, I want oversight. And I just opened up our books and said, tell me what we could be doing better. And they looked over it and then closed it back and handed it up, handed it right back to us and said, just keep doing it. I mean, they were very, very pleased with what we were doing. And so uh, that's very important to us. We want to be, be very good stewards of what God's entrusted us with. Um, just like anything else, uh, you're always growing. You're always developing. You're always learning. And uh, I think non, not communicating as well as we could have over the last couple of years since we quit membership, uh, I, I wish we would have done better. But that's, that's why we're talking about it some today. Uh, being a good steward financially is important to us because generosity is important to us. And we want to be a generous church. We want to be a generous people. Uh, I believe that open-handed is the way our Father lives and it's the way that we should live. Open-handed, very generous. Jesus was not the bare minimum God could give. 
So he started for, you know, I, I was listening to a pastor the other day and he said, a guy asked him, how often do you preach on giving in your church? And he said, every single week. And he said, every single week. And he said, yeah. He said, I'm, what I think you meant to ask him was how often do I preach on giving money? I think that's what you meant to ask. But when you say, how often do I preach on giving? The foundation of what I do every Sunday is for God so loved the world that he gave. This gospel started with a heart of generosity and the most extravagant, extravagant, extravagant gift ever given to mankind. And so uh, giving is a core, uh, a core principle in the word and, and, a, and an attribute of our Father. So uh, we want to follow him in that. Um, I, I want to just say this about generosity. It's impossible to talk about generosity as a core value and not talk about tithing. You can't talk about generosity and not talk about tithing. Let me read Malachi chapter 3, and I think you'll understand why you can't do one without the other. Starting here in verse 8, it says, Will a man rob God? Yet you've robbed me. But you say, In what, have we, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Are you starting to feel the warm and fuzzies yet? It says verse 10, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so that there's food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, and see if I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there's not room enough to receive it. I want to kind of go back and unpack a few of these things because um, I just think it's worth our time. It says, well, a man robbed God, you've robbed me. How have we robbed you in tithes and offerings? Then verse 10, it says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so that there's food in my house. Uh, I think probably before we go any further, I should probably just say, uh, buckle up. Uh, make sure you got your big boy and your big girl britches on because this is going to get a little, little meaty. But I, I, these, some of these things, they, they need to be said, and I think you'll understand why before the end of this message. As it pertains to the tithe, according to Scripture, not according to Braden, not according to a de, any denomination or anything else, according to Scripture, there are only two things that you can do with a tithe. What is the tithe? The tithe is 10% of all of your income. 10%. There are only, there's one of two things that you can do. There's only two things that you can do. You can either bring it or you can steal it. <laughs> I love talking about this. You can either bring it or you can steal it. Uh, the reason that those are the only, and if you go back and study, anytime the scripture talks about tithing, another word that it uses not, doesn't just use the word bring, it also uses the word return. So you can either return it or bring it, or you can steal it. Why? Because it was never yours in the first place. That's, that's the principle here. I cannot give something unless I own it. In fact, I'll give you just a little quick example of, of this. Because again, what's the point here? We're trying to move to what? Generosity. Liberal giving. Open-handed giving. But you can't get to giving until you return something that's not already, return the things that aren't yours in the first place. That is a quick question. I would really appreciate just a small bit of participation. Uh, who in here has just been so blessed? You've been, you were able to get a new car in the last week. Anybody get a new car in the last week? What about the last month? Have anybody had a new car in the last month? Somebody over here? I, could I ask you to do me a huge favor? Do you happen to have the keys of that car on you? Can I, can I see those keys? Somebody, just any, anybody. There we go. This is so much trust here, video guys. Thank, th thank you so much. Thank you for, for giving me that. Um, anybody need a new car? 
oh, you know what? I, I would like to demonstrate my generosity and I would like to give you a new car. So I, can we all just give her a round of applause? She just got, she just got a new car. Um, now, obviously, joking around and you can return it or just get the bill or whatever you want to do there, get the payment. Is that generosity? That is not generosity. In fact, in, if, if you do it like that in the natural, it seems absolutely crazy that I would think that I'm being generous in any way, shape, or form by giving something to someone that was never mine in the first place. Do you see how it is impossible to move towards this? Impossible to move towards generosity until first and foremost, foremost, I get the 10% that's not mine in the first place out of my hands and I bring it and I return it to the storehouse. I bring it to the house of God. You know the beautiful thing about this, whether you believe it or not, it's in there, you gotta wrestle with him about it. This is, I, I'm, I'm telling you, the number one thing people struggle with on this planet is money. It's number one. It's, the, it's one of the most difficult things. Poverty, the inability to do all the things that are in your heart, all the things that God's called you to do. It's resources, the number one issue in most people's lives. When we do marriage counseling, mostly counseling of any kind, overwhelming the number one thing that people deal with is money problems. And I would say the first message that people will not want to hear in a church service is a message about money. They go hand in hand. And my, my heart here is to, is, is to help break some of this, this stuff off. I, I, um, and I think it's even important that I say this. It says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so that there may be food, where? In his house. There actually is there actually is a place that the tithe belongs. And I'm not telling you because I'm the pastor of the church, I'm telling you because it's what I've been doing my whole life, regardless of what my church is. And I think you're gonna see uh, later on some clarity as to why it is, why the tithe belongs, belongs in the church. Very clearly, you cannot be generous until you are a tither. L- let me read to you some, some New Testament, and I actually wanna kinda go back. Uh, even before the, the law, because a lot of people say, well, tithing is under the law. Tithing is under the law. Don't you think if, because there's a lot of things that were under the law, like sacrifice of bulls and goats. Anybody heard that one? Aren't you glad that he made clear later on that we don't have to do that anymore? It was clear in scripture. Hey, hey, you no longer have to do that because there's been a, a once and for all, all sacrifice made on your behalf. I just think it's interesting that if for a claim to be, to be made that I don't have to tithe because that was the law and yet there's not one single scripture in the entire Bible that says, hey, by the way, about the tithe, don't need to worry about that anymore. Because maybe, just maybe, the tithe has nothing to do with money and it has everything to do with the heart. In fact, I, I'll, I'll just go there now. Do you understand that, this is gonna sound a little odd at first, do you understand that you actually were not created to live in heaven? You were actually created to live on earth? Humanity was not created for heaven. I, it's like, just think about some things people say, like, oh, I just cannot, let's get back to heaven where we belong. You actually weren't created to live in heaven. We're gonna to go to heaven. He's gonna clean this up and send us back where we were created to be. We were created to live in the garden. And in this garden, there was a principle. There was literally one principle. One. 
In all of the, in the whole garden, in the perfect place where we were created to live, there was one principle. All of this is yours except for this one thing. All of this is yours except for this one thing. You don't touch the little thing, you get access to all the rest of it. And isn't it interesting that even before we were fallen and had a sin nature, something in humanity still wanted to touch the one thing they weren't supposed to touch. Be like a kid. Leave a kid, leave a kid in a room and say, you put a piece of candy on the, on the table. Say, hey, I, I got to go, but don't touch that candy. That candy don't stand a chance. <laughs> it's, 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 a part of, it's a part of our, our, our I don't even know what you call it. I don't want to say our makeup, but... There's just something in us that still wants to touch the thing that we're not supposed to touch. Can I just say this? Notice that the Garden of Eden, there was no law. There were no commandments. It was a principle before there was a law. Then, of course, we know about it under the law, and I'm going to show you here in a second something else where uh, the Lord began to, the Lord actually showed us the first true tithe long before the law as well. But I want to read to you, just in case you're wondering, is this in the New Testament? Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, it says, Woe to you teachers of the law and the Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law. Justice, mercy, faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter. Now, let's take a little grammar here. I hope you did good in English class because it's going to get a little complicated here. It says, you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel. So he says, you should have practiced the latter. What was the latter? He says they were the more important matters of the law, which are justice, mercy, and faithfulness. He said, you should, have, you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. What was the former thing? Tithing. Tithing. So to be clear, tithing is not the most important thing in your life. You need to hear me say that. Tithing is not the most important thing in your life. That's not Braden, that's Jesus. There are there are actually degrees of truth in Scripture. And Jesus is outlining this. He's saying, hey, you, you bunch of hypocrites, you, you're getting things out of whack. You're getting things out of balance. And oftentimes that's what religion wants to do. It takes two truths, but he flips their importance. Which one's the most significant in the moment? And that's what they were doing. He said, you, you hypocrites, you teachers of the law, you Pharisees. He's saying, you're doing this one over here, but you're neglecting the more important thing. Don't stop tithing. Just start making this more important. That's Jesus speaking. Jesus saying we should not neglect the tithe. Hebrews chapter 10. This is, I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 7. Now I want to read this to you because I, I read you there, Jesus speaking in the New Testament. I talked to you about the garden before there was a law. Let me talk to you about the first tithe. And of course, in the garden there was a set apart thing, which was a principle. But let me show you what the first, according to scripture, the first tithe was. And then I'll give you some things that I think are going to blow your mind. Uh, it says in verse 1, for this Melchizedek, anybody heard, ever heard of Melchizedek in Scripture? One of the most mysterious characters in all the Bible. In fact, a, pastor, a, a preacher I used to listen to a lot years ago, he, he would call him mysterious male. This old mysterious male. He said, for this Melchizedek, king of Salem, interesting, priest of the Most High God. Look at the words that are being used to describe this Melchizedek who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave, what? 
a tenth part of all. That's what a tithe is, 10%. First being translated king of righteousness. Another interesting name for Melchizedek. And then also king of Salem. Jesus was known as the king of Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Without father, without mother, without genealogy. Now what kind of person is without father, without mother, without genealogy? Neither having beginning or days or an end of life, but made like what? The son of God and remains a priest continually. Who is the one that is our priest continually? Isn't it interesting? All the things that point to this was not just some ordinary, random, mysterious Melchizedek. This was very possibly, and again, I am no theologian. Uh, a lot of people think what I'm thinking. It's pretty hard when you read this to say, man, I wonder. But let's just, just go with me here. So it says, now consider how great this man was to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. And indeed, those are who the sons of... And I'm sorry, and indeed, those who are of the sons of Levi who received the priesthood have commanded, have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law, that is, from their brethren. They have come from the loins of Abraham, but he whose genealogy is not derived from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promise. Now, verse seven, well, let me get it to seven. Now, beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. Verse eight, pay close attention to this. It says here, talking about on earth, mortal men receive tithes. He's pointing back to what he just told us about the Levites. Mortal men receive tithes. But there, if here is earth, where is there? Heaven. There he receives them of whom it is witnessed that he lives. Even Levi who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. All right, let me, let me try to make, make sense of this. It says this mysterious male shows up. If you don't know the story about when, when Abraham gave the first tithe, Abraham goes on this journey to recover his, his nephew Lot. Lot had been captured. He goes and has this battle. He beats all these kings at all, that nobody else could beat, and he's got all of their stuff. And it says, on his way back, and I, I can't remember how it's translated, but it's, it's a word that means the valley of the kings. As he's on his way back to the valley of the, or on his way back home, Melchizedek meets him in the valley of the kings and comes to him. And Melchizedek says to Abram, blessed are you, Abraham. Now listen to what he tells him. For God has delivered your enemies into your hand. Blessed are you, Abraham. For God has delivered your enemies into your hand. What was this priest trying to point out to Abraham? Yes, you have a lot of stuff, but you didn't do anything to earn it. And you didn't do anything to deserve it. It came because you are blessed. Because God has done this for you. Now I want you to notice, we're not talking about just any old Joe in the Bible here. We're talking about Abraham, the patriarch, the father of our faith. And maybe more importantly, no not maybe, more importantly, the first person in the history of mankind to ever Past the Garden of Eden to get a relationship with God, not based on their works, but get a relationship with God based on their faith. It, it said that God, about Abraham, it said, and God counted unto him righteous. It said Abraham believed God and he counted him as righteous. This is before Jesus had ever died. Jesus was creating a type and shadow in the old covenant of what was to come in the new covenant. Why? Because you and I, we are, we are made the righteousness of God because of what we believe not because of what we do 
So he's, he's, he's making an example here with Abraham. And he says, okay, blessed are you, Abraham, for it's God who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And then what happens? There was no scripture that says to tithe. There was no law that said to tithe. But for whatever reason, out of his heart, it says that Abraham gave him a tithe. Where did this tithe, this, I'm sorry, let me say it a different way. When you know where your income comes from, tithing comes from the heart, not from a scripture. Tithing is a thing of the heart, not a thing of just checking a box so that you can think you've done your Christian, your Christian duty. There was no law. There was no law here for Abraham to follow. All there was was a heart response because Melchizedek reminded him of what, where his income came from in the first place. So first and foremost, understand this is a heart issue that we're talking about. Second thing, understand, Melchizedek was Jesus incarnate. <laughs> That's who he was. The first tithe in history went from a man to Jesus himself. And then he goes on to say, here, this is about us now, here, earthly men receive your tithes, but there, he does. Here, earthly men receive your tithes, but there he does. I've heard this before when people that struggle with tithing, they say, you know, I would tithe, but I just don't know what the church is doing with it. I just don't know if I trust what the church is doing with it. I, I should say this. You need to be at a church that you trust. <laughs> if you're going to a church and not tithing because you don't trust the leadership, we got a bigger problem. So, and, and, I, and, I, and I'm telling you, man, I've, I've I've seen it. I've seen people mishandle funds. I'm not for that. We, we do the best we can to create good stewardship principles, to create accountability. I am for those things. So I'm not, I'm try, I'm not trying to belittle the natural side of tithes being brought to men. But more importantly, listen to the scripture. It says, here mortal men receive your tithes, but there somebody else does, and his name is Jesus. When you give your tithe here, Something spiritually happens there. You can give, please hear me, you can give here to a crook. But what's happening up there, I promise you, you can trust that church up there. And I promise you, you can trust that church leader up there. Where your ties are actually going in the spirit realm. That is just, that is a fascinating thing. So, please help me, please understand, i I more want you to tithe because of what's happening in the spirit realm and what's happening between you and him than I do but what's happening here on this earth just between mortal men. You know, I say that, but I want, I've had this, um, I've had this thing rolling around on the inside of me for, for quite a while now, um, I've actually been thinking about this message for probably six months, and I was supposed to preach this message several months ago. It was on our calendar. Me and Keith and Cody got together and really tried to seek the Lord about what we were supposed to be doing and when, and I put it on the calendar earlier, and I just, I just didn't feel it was right, and went in a couple other directions. I, I can give you the principles of tithing. I believe in the principles of tithing. I even believe 
like most things in Scripture, as especially when we're children, spiritual children, and we're still learning some things, we need, and, and this, this is something that's been just diminished over the last good while in the, in the church world. Some things we should do just because the Bible says to. Just like, parents, can let me help you out. Some things your kids need to do what you said just because you said so. And if sometimes you'll say, not asking little Johnny and little Susie, what do you want to eat? You'll just put a dish in front of them and say, this is what you're having. And when they kick and scream, make them sit at the table for an hour and a half until they eat what you put in front of them to teach them, I'm the boss, you're the kid. Amen. Apparently we need to do a parenting class right here. <laughs> too many picky kid eaters these days. I digress. But it, it, what it is is... Over time, we've stopped doing something because we were told to. You know, you know in Scripture, you know what gets you to heaven? Confessing Jesus as Lord, not confessing him as Jesus. Satan knows who he is. He knows that he's Jesus. And he knows that he's Son of God. What will he not call him? Lord. Something significant there. We have to start teaching the lordship again of Jesus. Yes, he is your savior, and yes, God is a loving father, but I just want to remind you, he's also boss. Boss. And he deserves honor and respect, and when he opens his mouth, a bunch of little spiritual children should raise up and go, yes, dad? And start doing what he says, not what we feel. I digress. (laughs) What was I even talking about here? Let me just get back to scripture because I'm going to get off. Cody, do you remember where I was? You weren't in here. You don't like this message? <laughs> I'm trying to help your church out here. <laughs> yeah, and then here, here Ephesians, I, I want us to understand that, first of all, I think you start off by giving tithes because you, it's what the scripture says. But I really want us to get further than that. I don't want us to get stuck there because it's not, that's actually not what God's after, in my opinion, in the long run. He's not after our money, he's after our heart. That's what he's after. And I think sometimes, the Bible says where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And I think sometimes if you'll just start putting your treasure where you know your heart should be, your heart will show up eventually. That's actually a spiritual principle too. But I want to read you something and then we'll we'll close right here because the cool piano music's already starting. Ephesians chapter 5, this is a passage of scripture that we usually read at weddings. This is a, this is a husband, wife, this is a, this is a marriage passage of scripture. But as we're reading this, I want you to try to not read this through the, through the lens of this is hus- God talking about husband and wife. I want you to listen to this about how Jesus feels about the church. It says, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as also Christ is the head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be subject to their husbands and everything. Just a little nugget. I can't leave this one alone. Uh, husbands, if you're having a, if you don't think your wife submits to you, I propose maybe you should start loving her the way Christ loves the church and submission might be a whole lot easier. Just going to leave that right there. Just leave that right there. Husbands, 
love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and he gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water of the word that he might present her to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that she would be holy and without blemish so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies he who loves his wife loves himself for no one has ever hated his own flesh but nourished and cherished it just as the Lord does the church for we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones I I want you to know that the church is his wife the church is his wife it's the thing he has it's the thing Jesus loves more than anything and I also propose to you that tithing is the way that Jesus takes care of his wife while he's gone When you look at it that way, tithing might mean a little bit more to you than just an exchange of obedience and money and things like this. No, it's me showing Jesus, I love what you love. I'll give, what did Jesus do for his love? He gave up up himself to make sure that she was taken care of. Now rethink your WWJD bracelet. What in your life are you willing to give up? to make sure that she is nourished, that she is cherished, that she is taken care of. Thanks for listening. We hope you felt encouraged by today's message. If you need prayer or would like to connect with us, find us on social media or by going to renewlifechurch.com.